Okay, so um, what, what you'll notice um, as you go through, if you study the scriptures at all, and, and what's important about maturing as a believer is we always have to have a balance uh, between our belief and our behavior, right? Our belief is this like 10,000 foot view. You can call it theology. You can call it whatever you want. Um, and it, what we believe should affect how we behave, right? We've, we say that a lot. It's is that what you believe will eventually become your behavior. And we, we work backwards as well, is, is if it doesn't affect your behavior, then we really need to ask the question, do I honestly believe this thing, right? And so that's why belief is so important. That's why it's emphasized in Scripture. Um, and any time in the Bible, um, especially in the New Testament, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, any time he goes from belief to behavior, he always goes through the mind, okay? He always goes through the believer's mind. Um, his, and let me say that again. Anytime he goes from theology to practice, he always goes through the mind. Okay, So he, here's one example of many. Are you in Romans chapter 12? This is a pretty famous verse. You probably haven't memorized Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Watch what he's going to do here. He's going to address their behavior, but watch how he does it. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, so he's, remember, he's talking to Christians. He's not trying to convince them to become Christians. They already are. What he's doing is he's trying to press them towards maturity. So look, he says, um, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Okay, so stop there. So notice he's 100% addressing their behavior. Do you see that? He says don't conform to the pattern of this world. He says that the things that, that maybe the world does, and he says your behavior is important, but look how he addresses their behavior. Look, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your, what's the word? Mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. And so that's, notice what he did there was he, he did not say, hey, don't conform to the world's pattern of behavior. Instead, behave this way. He doesn't do that. Do you see that? That's very important. Because a lot of people, they grew up underneath that teaching. Don't miss this. Is maybe this is what your church experience your entire life is, hey, don't act this way, act this way instead. And there's no freedom there, okay? And we talk a lot about freedom and setting captives free. And what we talked about several weeks ago is if that's your focus, if your focus is I need to stop doing these things and I need to start doing these things, all you've done is walked out of one prison cell and into another one. That's it. And it might be bigger, it might be nicer, but you're still captive, Okay, And so this is why it's so important that in Scripture, yes, our behavior is important, but it always goes through our mind. And what we see is that when we have the mind of Christ, which we do, Scripture teaches, we have the mind of Christ, when we uh, allow the Lord to work through our mind, our behavior kind of takes care of itself. Okay, um, And another way we said that is, uh, again, a couple weeks ago, you remember, um, I used to have a really, really nice yard, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we already talked about it, and I didn't pull any weeds none what i did was i watered the grass and when you water the grass the grass chokes out the weeds and so this is as a church we always we don't have a lot of emphasis on hey are you doing the right thing are you behaving correctly because that's just a prison cell 
Instead, our emphasis is on, is your mind set on things above? Is your mind set on the Lord? Because when we allow our mind to be focused on the Lord and on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the grass uh, chokes out the weeds. Are you following me on that? Uh, And I won't say any more about that because we've talked at length about it. Okay, so uh, flip over to Colossians. We're going to see Paul... Um, do the same thing in Colossians, and uh, we're going to take a little bit of time to walk through this. Um, and our emphasis here is again, um, we're focusing on our mind. I already said that's where uh, that's where our battlefield is. Okay, uh, there's a battle going on inside your mind of whether or not we're going to believe truth or believe uh, lies. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and any time in Scripture when it says your mind, remember that's a reference to your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. That's what makes you, uh, you. Um, and we need to remember that the mind is powerful. The mind is the front lines of this war. And, and, and this, is, this may not be true of everybody, but I hope you hear me say this. Your mind may be your greatest oppressor. Your mind might be your greatest oppressor. Okay. Uh, because where we keep our, thor- our core thoughts is our mind, whether they're true or not. And if you believe a lie, a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it's true. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it was 100% true. Okay? And so let me, let's try to connect the dots here. Look in Colossians chapter 2, start in verse 20. If you'll remember, this is a section, this is a warning section, and Paul is describing false teachers, where we might get these false ideas, where we might get these these lies that we believe. And when we hear the word false teachers, what we're going to see when we just read this little section is a lot of times you hear false teacher and you think a guy with horns and a pitchfork, right? And he's got a tail sticking out the back of his jacket. And we think false teachers, we think it's this clearly, clearly Uh, heretical teaching. But look what Paul says right here. He says um, in chapter 2, verse 20, and we've already covered this last week. This is just a uh, catch-up. He says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings verse 23 such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence okay and so what he does here is remember he's describing this false teaching and what i have underlined in my bible right here it says these teachings, look, it says they have an appearance of what? Wisdom. Is that these false ideas, maybe these lies that we have in our mind, sometimes they're not 100% clearly, oh, that's wrong. Sometimes they, they come through external sources, and we joked about this uh, weeks ago. Um, sometimes even our external sources, like if it, if it gets embroidered on a pillow at your grandma's house, by that time, it's like doctrine, you know what I mean? And we joke that if you, have, if you go to your grandma's house and there's a pillow that says, uh, what was the example we used? Um, God, doesn't op- what was it? God doesn't close a door unless he opens a window. And think about this. This, grandma's, this is on grandma's couch. This is her pillow, right? But that's a false teaching. That's not anywhere in Scripture. And if you believe that lie, it will affect you as if it were true, 
right? And, and so sometimes those external sources of, of truth, um, sometimes they're, they don't have horns and a pitchfork, okay? Sometimes it's grandma's theology. And I don't know you, grandma, but I love her. I'm sure she's wonderful. You know, I love her, but I'm here to say grandma might be wrong on that instance, okay? And sometimes these false teachers are internal as well um, through our thoughts and through our minds. And this is why I'll say this again. Our greatest battlefield is usually the mind. And I'll say this again. Our greatest influencer and maybe your greatest oppressor is your mind. Um, why? The mind has immeasurable influence on our feelings and our will. In almost every discipline of life, we're continually discovering the power of the mind. Have you seen this in sports and in medicine? We're starting to, just in the last 30 years or so, we're starting to find a significant connection between our thought life and how we actually perform physically, that our thought life affects us emotionally and uh, physically. Uh, your mind, remember we're talking about the battle for the mind, your mind affects your emotions and ultimately will affect your will. Or another way to say that is your thinking will affect your feeling, which will ultimately affect your choices. Um, so here's, here's a great example of what it means when your mind is set on the wrong things. Um, I want you to picture, uh, imagine uh, you're at the movie theater, right? And you're watching a scary movie, okay? I don't do this very often, um, but you're in, a, you're in this environment that, notice, this environment, the environment has you. Don't miss that. The environment has you. You are in there, and your entire mind is set on this thing up here, this scary movie that may be a monster movie. It has no basis in reality, okay? But what you'll notice is um, when you're sitting there watching that scary movie, don't miss this, your mind is set on these things up here. Now, what, how does that affect your body? Think about this. Have you ever been watching a scary movie, and you snap out of it for a second, and you realize you may be gripping the chair like, with, like vice grips. Do you know what happens to your heart when you're just watching a scary movie? Your heart starts beating faster. Have you ever been watching a scary movie and you look up and you're just sweating like crazy? You know? Um, it even affects uh, your body in ways that... Have you ever finished watching a scary movie and you realize, I have to pee so bad? Why is that? Because your mind is focused on this false idea and your body goes into that fight or flight mode and, and this, is, this, is, this is true. And your body shuts down certain things that it should be doing, such as saying, hey, you need to pee. Has anyone done that? Well, the movie is over and you realize, I got I to gotta pee like crazy. This is an example of how when we're in that environment, if our minds are set on these things that are false, dude, it affects us. It affects us emotionally and it even affects us physically, right? Um, and we, we, uh, even though nothing is true, like you're sitting here watching this movie about monsters, we have been deceived and we've been manipulated. Do you see this battle going on for your mind? Do you see what we're talking about here? Do you see why, why the scriptures and why Paul put so much emphasis on the mind? Okay, I'm just going to read this. If the influence of the mind on your emotions is so powerful in a span of 90 minutes of watching a movie, how much more powerful are the untrue inaccurate and false thoughts that you consciously or unconsciously dwell on every single day do you think there's a battle going on for your mind yes and i'm speaking to christians here 
Okay? Over time, false thinking unloads such an assault on your emotions that even your physical well-being and decision-making can be affected. And over time, uh, this is, can cause us to be captive. I hope that you guys are starting to recognize. Remember, our church uh, mission statement is we want to share our lives to make disciples of Jesus Christ and set captives free. I think, I think in the past month or so, our church is starting to recognize when we say set captives free, I think we're starting to understand what we mean, right? Because I think people hear captives and they think, oh, guys in prison, drug addicts, alcoholics, right? But I think we're starting to recognize that some of us are captive to these false thoughts that we're carrying around. Right? Some of us who are completely saved, completely justified, we're still carrying around these false core thoughts. And, and just like if our focus is on a scary movie, even if it's false, it can still be affecting us every single day. And some of us have carried around these false thoughts since childhood. right? And we're still captive. And are y'all starting to recognize what it means to be captive. And when we say we want to set captives free, we want to go after people that they are, sometimes they're, they're oppressed just from these false thoughts and to recognize, oh my gosh, I've been, I've been believing this lie, some people for 30, 40, 50 years, and there's no freedom there. Are y'all starting to see this, I hope, right? Um, a lot of these false thoughts come from childhood. Uh, this can get very personal, um, but some of us are carrying around these false ideas from childhood that that we're not that important, um, that you're, you're not worth fussing over, uh, that if you're honest, and I'm talking to people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, if you're honest, you'll just disappoint everyone, um, that you're not enough, um, or that God cannot be trusted. These are things that are, my gosh, those, those growing up years, these are things that are just indwelled in us. Um, one of the things, uh, personally, one of the false uh, thoughts that I struggle with and I'll share this with you because you should be able to you should be able to comfort me and correct me because it's a physical example. Is uh, growing up, Russell, I was always f- kind of athletic, at least average, and so I always played soccer. Um, and in like elementary and middle school, um, I was fast, man. I was fast, and I'd play sweeper, which is the defense, and I owned that back line. I mean it. Bro, I mean it. Like, there would be times after games that the other coach would come up and say, you're the reason we lost that game, right? And remember, I'm bragging on middle school stuff, so don't, don't think this is too cool. Okay, uh, but point being, Russell was I, was, I was good. I was fast. And, and then I was in middle school, and then when I looked, I got to high school, and I started looking around, and through high school, you know what happened? All the other guys kept growing, and Russell stayed the same, Okay. And so in, in late middle school and early high school, um, I, I remember in ninth grade and in 10th grade, I was the, this is affirmed, I was the shortest, smallest guy in my entire high school. It was a small private high school, but point being, I was tiny. And in these developmental years, I, I kind of developed this, this thing where I, I, I knew I was small, and so I felt small, and, and I realized when it came to the soccer field, I wasn't the stud anymore. I was getting toasted. I didn't play at all ninth and 10th grade in high school at all. You know what I mean? And so I felt small and tiny and I felt like I'm around, you know, you show up in ninth grade and there's these 12th graders and they're like shaving and they drive cars and you're like, oh my gosh. And point being is what, what developed in Russell's mind is this idea of, 
And again, I said this is a physical example of Russell, you're, you're just small and, and you're, not, you're not an influence. You're small and you don't make a big impact. And Russell, when you speak, people aren't really listening. Okay, Now that's a physical example and you better believe it affected me emotionally and you better believe it affected me spiritually. Right? And so <coughs> this is the point. Um, something happened uh, junior year. Senior year, Russell started growing again, and so what you'll see, oh, sorry, I'm going on too long about me. What you'll notice is that I'm, and again, I'm not the biggest guy in the room, but I'm not the smallest, right? Um, and I filled out a little bit, but I, I, I 100% get it that, a thousand percent, that some, this is true of men and women, that some men and women, they can be 110 pounds, and they can look in the mirror, and they can say, I'm so fat. I get I understand that because Russell still looks in the mirror and he thinks you're you're just such a skinny little wimpy nothing. I still struggle with when I walk into a room, um, no one really sees me. I still think I can blend in. I still think that my voice doesn't matter much. This is a real struggle for me. It's and that's true physically, and you better believe it affects me emotionally, right? And then there's times like. Uh, and Kinsey can attest to this. There's times where I'll see a like a picture that, that I'm in it, and I'm surrounded by other people, and I'll be like, "I'm enormous." And Kinsey goes, "Yes, you are." And I'm like, and I say to her, "I was like, is that what I always look like?" And she goes, "Yes." Like, she says, "You're not this little puny. Again, you're not the biggest guy in the room, but you're not this. But but don't miss my point here is." I still, to this day, and I say this to you because it's a way you can physically look at me and you can say, hey, that's, that's not true, right? You know, right now I'm sitting there, I'm like 6'4", like 235 right now. That's a hefty boy. That is. I can't find shirts that fit. That's why I always roll them up. I don't know if you noticed that because they're not long enough. Um, but guys, I'm telling you, this is, this is one of, one of my false core, core thoughts is that I'm just small and significant, and it, it, it affects me in this way. What I say doesn't really matter. Where does that come from? That comes from eighth grade, when I started getting small, and when I didn't make a big difference. So, and do you see, and I have people in my life that speak truth to me and say, Russell, what you said matters. Russell, when, when, you, when you enter a room, you make a difference, right? And even in the voices of my children, um, if anyone who's a parent can amen to this, there are times when you talk to them, and I might as well be talking to that wall right there. The response I get, and even, and even with a, even with a now four and eight year old, I can speak into their lives, and this voice is in the back of my head that says they don't hear you. There's this voice that says, Russell, what you do does not matter. That is a false thought, and that's the battle in my mind. And so that's why the Bible is relentless with the message that um, you'll remember it says, hey, take every thought captive. That, that sometimes these thoughts run through our minds that we say, hold on, that's not true. That's absolutely false, right? Um, and to replace those false thoughts uh, with true ones. And so finish up, um, look in Colossians chapter 3. This is when Paul finally gets to, he's going to say, hey, here's... Um, Here's what we need to do about this. Remember, he just said that these false teachers, they have an appearance of wisdom. 
And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, now notice what he does here is for the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul has been talking about belief. He's been talking about theology. Now he's, you're going to notice Colossians turns 90 degrees, hard left, because he's going to go from belief into practice. Okay? He's going to go from here's what you think to this is what you do. This is how you behave. But he goes through the mind. Watch. Verse 3, chapter 1. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. So, Okay, so pause there. Remember, again, don't rip a verse out of context. This is written to a group of Christians that are saved, and he's reminding them. He says, don't forget, you have been raised with Christ. Remember we talked, I guess it was last week, that baptism is an image of that we've been buried with Christ. And remember the two parts of baptism? I hope you guys took notes. What's step one? You push them under the water, and then what's step two? Raise them up. Good. Some of y'all not sure, but yeah, if, if someone asks you to baptize them, you can come to me, and I'll tell you those steps again, but that's important, and this is this image of you push them under the water, and then you raise them up, and it's this image of we have died with Christ, but we have also been brought to life with him, and so we're united with Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago, but... When Jesus Cross walked out of that grave, you walked out of that grave too. Don't miss that. And so he says, you, you have, since then you have uh, uh, been raised with Christ. And, and stay there still for a minute. This is important for Christians because I still think, I, I think maybe we believe it, but we don't talk like we do. And this is what I mean is that, um, I guess it was maybe four or five years ago, my grandmother passed away in Florida, and so we hopped on a plane and went to Florida to help, you know, to help move all of her stuff and everything like that, and they had a memorial service for her, and they, um, all my life, I was never my grandmom's favorite, ever, ever, until I was ordained, and then Russell's number one. I'm not even kidding. It was, and you can ask my whole family, my sister is shaking her head. It went from black to white. The, flip, the switch was flipped because my grandpa was a minister as well. And when Russell went to seminary and got ordained, Russell was on top, you know. And she, woo, he was, that's all it took. That's all it took. And so anyways, we went to Florida, and um, I guess she had requested that I speak at her uh, funeral. Um, and so as we're at this funeral, again, these are nice people. A lot of them are believers. But these are the things you'll hear at Christian funerals a lot. We're so sorry for your loss. Or we'll say something like, I'm so sorry your grandma died. Right? And, and hear me say, and what I did was I got up in front of these people and I looked at them and so I said, stop saying she's lost. My grandma's not lost. She's actually more found than she's ever been. And stop saying she's died. She is not dead. Because the words of Jesus Christ, He says, if you believe in Me, you will live. And he says, you will never die. She, she died, but she didn't die four years ago. She died 2,000 years ago on the cross. Are you following me? And so I stood up in front of these people and I said, stop saying that she's dead. Christians don't die. We have been raised with Christ. And then afterwards, everyone came up and said, you did such a great job. And I was like, I was just correcting you. Like what? But, the, but the point being, I think they all believe that, but be careful what we say. You know, believers, anytime I do a Christian funeral, I say that, I say, Christians don't die. Stop saying that. They're not lost and they're not dead. And so notice Paul starts with that. He says, look, since you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So that is the emphasis for today, and that's Paul's emphasis. When he's going from belief to behavior, remember, he says, I want you to set your, not behavior, he says, no, set your mind on things above. Okay, That word set, do you see the word set? That is an active thing that we're doing. Um, it's not passive. I think sometimes we think that we can passively set our minds on the things of the Lord, and it doesn't work that way. I mean, picture again, um, picture that movie theater, like we just said. That's a good image of the world, is that we're in this thing, and in the movie, in the movie theater, they control all the um, senses, you know? They, they make it a little warm if it's a scary movie. It's completely dark. They have speakers everywhere. Are you right? That's a good image of the world is that we are inundated with these false thoughts. And this idea of setting our minds on the Lord is an active thing uh, we have to do. Um, if you're passive about it, it doesn't happen. Okay. <clears throat> Ooh, another Florida story. So I said my grandma... Um, uh, she was in Florida. That was when my dad lived in Florida as well, my dad and stepmom. And they lived there for about 20 years. And so starting when I was about 11 years old, I would go to Florida every single summer. They lived in West Palm Beach on the Atlantic side. And so I'd go to Florida every single summer, and I'd stay there for a month. Um, and my stepbrother would go with me, and my cousins lived, uh, Josh and Bobby. My cousins, they lived in Orlando, which was a couple hours away. And so we'd go to the beach, and we'd do some surfing, right? We weren't any good, but we surfed. And it was so much fun. If you've never done it, you got to do it. Um, and, and here's what would happen is you'd go out, and we're on our surfboards, and the beach, it all looks the same. You know, the beach is, it's just all, it's just, it all looks identical, okay? And so uh, what we would do is we'd have to go out, and we'd find, you'd have to look and say, okay, there's, my stepmom's name is Sandy. We'd say, okay, there's Sandy, and we'd have to find her umbrella, and we'd have to find this reference point, Okay, here's the reason is because when you go out, because you're out like 30, 40, 50 yards sometimes, uh, you're out pretty far, and when you go out, the, the, it was right by the inlet where the water comes in and out for the intercoastal, and so if the tide is coming out or coming in, it's moving, but you don't feel it, okay? Don't miss me on this. So you can be out there for, you know, a couple hours, but this is the thing, is that we're sitting there, I'm with me, Blaine, Josh, and Bobby, and if I looked around, if I was just looking at us, I would never guess we're going anywhere. I'd say we're, we're in the exact same spot. But you could be sitting there and talking, and after 10 minutes, you look up, and you realize we've moved 300 yards. The, the tide's pulling you, not out, but along the beach, Okay, And I like this as an image of what it means to set your mind on the Lord. Because what we would have to do is we would have to find and locate, hey, there's Sandy right there. And if we weren't actively looking up, I mean every few minutes, and saying there's our reference point, and then swimming against the current, what we would do is we would blink and we would be half a mile. <laughs> we'd be half a mile away. And sometimes we'd have to paddle in and then walk back up the beach, right? And this is such a, a clear image of what our culture is, is that we're out there. 
Like, and we can look around, and, and don't miss this. We can be surrounded by fun people. We can be having a good time out there hanging out on our boards, talking, because there there's no waves in West Palm Beach. That's the funny thing. We would just go out and just hang out, right? And we're having a great time. But if we're not actively setting our minds on our reference point and occasionally turning and swimming against the current, we would blink and we'd look up and we were not where we thought we should be. And we have a lot of work ahead of us to get back. Are you with me on that? Okay? And this is what it means to be alive in Christ. Remember, it means that we're dead to the world. And it means that at times we have to swim against the current. And I'll, I'll say this is the last thing, and I think you'll follow me. Even a dead body floats with the current. Even a dead body can stay up with the current. And if you remember when I referenced Weekend at Bernie's, that great theological movie, some dead bodies, you can put a dead body on a surfboard. You can put glasses on it. And it can be about out there and be a part of all the fun. But it's not, it doesn't have its mindset on a reference point, And it will never go against the current. Um, anyways, that's what it means to set your mind on things above. Remember, set is an active word. Okay. Uh, here's the last thing I'll say. Many of our core thoughts took a long time to become rooted in us. Uh, like for me, it, it took a couple years in middle school. Um, and they may take some time to remove and some effort. That's what it means to swim up the current. And so when it says to set your minds on things above, um, something we pray for here is we, we pray for our hearts. Uh, we pray that, that the Lord, that, that our hearts would be soft enough that He could change something if He needed to. Flip to John chapter 5. This is the last thing we'll look at. I want to point out something that I, I, it's just a very, very strange thing. John chapter 5, this is Jesus. You know, when we say we want to set our minds on things above, part of that is we want, <clears throat> we want to have the heart of Jesus. Uh, we want to find our identity in Christ. Not in our strengths or our weaknesses. So look at John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored, col covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. So, so pause there. Does I hope this stands out to you. Here's a guy who hasn't walked for 38 years. It says he sits here every single day. It says he's amongst all these other people. Their entire purpose for being there is to get help. <coughs> Jesus walks up and he looks at the guy and he says, hey, do you want to get well? What a, what a stupid question, right? Does that, does that stand out to you? Like, what, 
why would Jesus look at someone and say, do you want to get well? Or, or I would even ask the question, John wrote this gospel. Why did John put that in there? Do you want to get well? What a dumb question, of course. Of course I want to get well. It, and here's what I have written here. Do you, want to get, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? That's a stupid question unless we recognize, and this is where we, want, we need to do some self-reflection, unless we recognize that some people have attached themselves to a sickened identity. Okay, um, Some people in our culture, if you remember we talk about culture a lot, our culture is a victim culture. Okay, and, and that we're all a victim of something. And if I can be the victim of something, then I'm not responsible for my actions. You guys remember us talking about this? And man, like just this week, these, these dots connected for me was that if we're not careful, if we're not, again, if we're not swimming up the current, against the current to set our minds on the Lord, we will blink and look around that we are just a part of the culture, that we are also one of the victims, Okay? And we can place our identity in a false idea, our identity in a sickened identity. And so that question, do you want to get well, that's really stupid unless you recognize that. That here's the bottom line, and I thought about this last night for a while, here's the bottom line, that in all areas of my life and in my heart, that if Jesus says, do you want to get well, if, I, if I'm really really honest, and I know this is Sunday morning, so that's a scary thing to do. If I'm really honest, I think there's some parts of my heart where I would say no. I think there's some areas, some struggles, some identity issues, that if Jesus walked up and said, do you want to be healed of this? If I'm really honest, there's some places where I would go, I don't. I, I want to hold on to this. I want to hold on to this. And, and for you, it might be I want to hold on to this anger I want to hold on to this pain. I want to hold on to this, what we call dysfunction. Notice my fingers here. Dysfunction, right? I, I want to hold on to this false identity because if I, if I can continue my life as if I'm the victim, then I'm not responsible. And Scripture teaches clearly that we're more than conquerors, that we're more than conquerors here. And so, um, man, that, I think that's the question. If you're writing notes, I would write that down. Where would I say no? If Jesus walked up and said, hey, do you want to be healed? Where would I say no? And remember, these are areas, I had this conversation with the Lord last night at 1 a.m. because I couldn't sleep. These are areas not that Satan has taken from us, but that we've given him. It, these, these are areas that maybe for a thousand times we have given him half an inch. We've given him half an inch, and now it's a stronghold right? And this is an area that I want healing. And maybe your prayer is this. Maybe your prayer isn't, God, I want to be healed. Maybe your prayer is, God, I want to want to be healed, right? Because if we're honest, some of us, if Jesus walked up and said, do you want to be healed? Some of us in some areas, we'd say, I'm not ready yet. And Jesus, he's not a divine rapist. He will not force himself upon you. And if we look at him and say, no, I'm not giving you this part of my heart. Do you know what he does? And this is the wrath of God. It says he goes, okay. He says, okay. He says, I'm here when you want. Right? And so that's, that's my prayer for us is as, again, let's just end with this image. As we're out here surfing all together, which would be fun, as we're doing that, make sure we have our focus on our Lord, that our, that our mind is set on the Lord. 
and that we are at times we're swimming against the culture's current. And, and there's some areas where Jesus would say, hey, do you want to be healed? And we would say, uh-uh, I want to stay right here. I'm comfortable right here. Okay? Um, and, and don't miss the good news. The good news is that when we turn around, if we have felt like we have wandered 10,000 miles from the Lord, this is incredible. When you turn around, he's right there. You have not wandered 10,000 miles from the Lord. Has not happened. It might feel like it, but that's not true. So it, this may be a stronghold in your life that maybe you have walked down this path for 50 years. And the thing is, is the Lord says, turn around and he's right there. But he will not force himself on you. And his church has to be a part of that. The last thing I hear, look at this. When Jesus says, do you want to get well? Look at verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, what does he say? I have no one <laughs> to help me. Um, so don't forget the church in this. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you uh, for your truth. God, I pray right now for our hearts. God, we pray that you would show us um, strongholds, that you would show us areas in our hearts <coughs> that, that we have given up. And that you would show us areas that, that maybe that we don't, we're not ready uh, to be healed from. And Lord, we pray that you would break those chains. Lord, we pray that you would break through those prison walls. And that we could walk in freedom. And Lord, to help us identify those false core thoughts. Like some of us have carried around since middle school. <laughs> or longer. And that we could recognize that those are lies straight from hell. And that we would be believers that we would fill our minds with your truth. And that we would be believers that we would speak truth to one another. That we could look at one another and say, what you're believing is not true, man. That's not true about you. And that we would find freedom. That we'd walk in freedom. Lord, that we wouldn't just walk from one prison cell to another. Because some of these prison cells are real nice looking. They really are. And so our prayer, Lord, is we want freedom. We want to experience freedom. We want to see captives set free, and we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer, Lord. And so we give you our heart, Lord. Make our heart teachable. Soften our hearts where they have been calloused. Lord, break our pride where we have built up walls of pride, Lord. Um, that we would be people that are just responsive. That it would be so simple. It would be as simple as when you say go, we would just say, okay. And we just say yes. And when you would say, do you want healing? We just say yes. Yeah. So Lord, that's our prayer. Um, and again, help us not to isolate ourselves. That is such a cultural thing. Help us to swim against that stream. To swim against that current. That we would not isolate ourselves. But that we would actually run to one another. And that we would seek out help from one another. Um, and we would carry one another's burdens. So that's our prayer, Lord. Amen.